Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, November 18th, 2019. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. Hi, James Marino. Happy Monday, if there was ever such an oxymoron. But, I mean, maybe happy because of all the good programming we had over the weekend, including, I believe, the first part of Matt Matt Tamanini's New York Extravaganza. Yes, uh, Matt in New York Part 1 was on Saturday morning. We're going to, Matt and I are going to record another one on Monday morning. Uh, We'll get it out there in the uh, Monday, probably... I'm not sure if I'll put it out in the morning to because I don't want to confuse it with the Today on Broadway feed. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, but we might don't get, like confusion. get it out in Monday afternoon. So, yeah. I, I think, what, if you're a Patreon supporter or an, a non-supporter, you only got to hear the first part, which was brief review of The Crucible. But I know you talked more about it in the longer version with Beetlejuice, Moulin Rouge, Evita, and Seared as well. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly correct. We put out just a couple of minutes of our first conversation to let the folks uh, hear what uh, this type of Patreon-only exclusive content is like uh, to kind of give them an idea if it's uh, Very cool. interesting for them to uh, support us at patreon.com. Which, I was going to say, which we know it is. What else did we have in the feed this weekend? Uh, well, uh, Peter Felicia and Michael Hortantier and I got uh, together on Sunday to uh, do a This Week on Broadway, and we talked about uh, Michael's... Um, uh, cast album 54 Below Loves Cast Albums. Oh, yes. Um, so we talked about that. Uh, now I love me some 54 Below. Um, Peter gave a, uh, a stark raving review for The Inheritance, but we'll talk about Inheritance in a second. Uh, and we talked about the possibility of the Follies movie, and uh, Michael saw a team. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, Peter saw a Richard III that's part of... Uh, that's part of uh, Lincoln Center's, um, uh, what's it called? White Light Festival. Yeah. It's not at White, It's not at Lincoln Center. It's at John Jay College. But Oh, right. Um, but okay. Peter gave this Rich III a rave, rave review. You must love to hear that. Yeah. Love to hear that. Yeah. Well, to get, well, if you know, you got to hear all that. Also, if you want to hear more of Matt's thoughts, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash Broadway radio or Broadway slash Patreon. Be sure to support us at one of our many tiers and uh, get some more exciting content. I know he I know Matt see, saw soft power on Sunday night. Can't remember what else saw. But some good shows to look forward to, for sure. Yeah, so uh, Saturday he saw Darren Brown. Yes. Uh, and then he saw The Wrong Man, and then he saw Freestyle Love Supreme. Yes. Uh, Sunday morning he Very saw the Ra- Radio City Christmas Spectacular on oh, Sunday yes. morning. Then he saw Scotland PA at the matinee on Sunday, and Sunday evening Soft Power. I think you know his schedule better than he does. Well, I Judge, judging detail. judging by his initial double book, <laughs> I think I think you've got it nailed. <laughs> and then you saw Seared. So, I did see Seared, yeah. What's your thoughts on Seared? 
I loved Seared. That was a show made for me and and only me. (laughs) Explicitly made for me. I loved every second of it. Did you think of the uh, Smell-O-Vision podcast? Uh, Yes, I did. I think we need to start figuring out uh, financing for that and (laughs) build the technology ourselves if we must. Well, you know, maybe if I got a big inheritance. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, you already mentioned the inheritance, and we had our big, our next big Broadway opening of the season with the West End transfer of the Olivier Award-winning The Inheritance, which opened at the Ethel Barrymore Theater on Sunday night. The play, written by Matthew Lopez and directed by Stephen Daldry, stars Kyle Soler, Andrew Burnap, Samuel H. Levine, Paul Hilton, John Benjamin Hickey, Lois Smith, and more. The two-parter is based, at least in part, on the novel Howard's End and examines love between gay men in contemporary New York following the AIDS epidemic. On to some reviews, reviews, Adam Feldman at Time Out New York calls the play, quote, a searching and moving exploration of gay male life in New York City, writing, a certain amount of imperfection is built into ambition on this scale. The inheritance is no longer what it needs to be, yet the discussion of modern issues sometimes feels thin. The second part, which departs more freely from the Howard's End template, is less assured than the first, despite a welcome light cameo by the formidable Lois Smith. And its framing devices are overfamiliar, especially toward the finale. But at its best, as in the unforgettable sequence that concludes the first half, it taps into a profound sense of loss and a yearning for connection. If progress has come at a cost, the inheritance is a play about remembering and honoring one's debts. As such, it feels, to quote one of its characters, like a necessary haunting. Marilyn Stasio at Variety writes, The inheritance is bound to be compared with that other two-parter about gay life, Angels in America. That's unsurprising, but besides the point. Angels was literally timeless in nature a lament for all the living and all the dead from time and memorial. Once seen, Angels was never forgotten. The inheritance is not as embracing of all humanity living and dead. Its characters are too shallow, too narcissistic, too selfish, too grounded in time and space. Nonetheless, the inheritance will not easily be forgotten either. The play is a remarkable slice of life in a time of war and a beautiful remembrance. A haunting, a necessary haunting of both the victims and the survivors of that war. And while we're recording this, uh, the Times review has yet to come out. But deeply looking forward to this one, James. I was curious because I've heard a lot of people make that comparison to Angels, as the Variety review said, which I don't really think is fair. If anything, it's a sister piece or a distant cousin at best. But one of many transfers we're getting from across the pond this season, one that will likely be the best bet come Tony's time for best play, especially since it already has the Olivier under its belt. Well, as we were talking, Mr. Brantley has posted his review. Ah, see? It's like it can uh, conjure it into existence. Exactly. What did Mr. uh, Brantley have to say? Let me look for the checkbox to see. Is it a New York Times critic's pick? I don't see it, but I missed it last time. So Mr. Brantley says... Ardent aspiration glows in every moment of Matthew Lopez's The Inheritance, which opened Sunday at the Ethel Barrymore Theater. That is, to be sure, 
a whole lot of moments. The two-part novelistic doorstop of a play, A Portrait of a 21st Century Gay Man in Search of Their Collective Past, occupies more than six hours of stage time. And everything about it, its themes, its form, its frame of reference, and the desires of its characters is of scale with its length. Consider to, consider to begin with that Lopez, whose earlier respectfully received plays, The Whipping Man, The Legend of Georgia McBride, scarcely anticipated a blockbuster like this one, is making its his Broadway debut in a work that courts direct comparison with two daunting predecessors. That would be Howard's End and E.M. Foster's uh, 1910 novel of England at a Moral Crossroads and Angels in America, Tony Kushner's two-part Pulitzer Prize-winning drama from the early 1900s, 1990s about the beleaguered soul of gay America, which was spectacularly revived only last year. So wow, that's the beginning. Angels comparisons, yeah. Yeah, so the beginning of uh, Brantley's review seems to uh, suggest that uh, it is a critic's pick, although I can't find those special didn't words. look like it was, so I'm not sure. I'm wondering, uh, obviously, I'll have to read more to figure out what his gripes are. But again, this is one that's top of my list for this season in an already incredible season, one that I've been looking forward to since before the transfer was announced. I obviously wanted to see it while it was still in London. Yeah, this is, uh, as I said, Peter Felicia loved this. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a must see, not a go see this. This is a must see. It's a requirement. So, uh, required. Required. Exactly. It's next up for me. So. Excellent. As so soon as possible. to the inheritance folks. And, of course. Uh, may they have a big inheritance. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh. I'm their savior. That's what they call me. So Christian Dior me. Uh, So tell me about these uh, Evita (laughs) reviews at City Center. Yes, one of the season's most highly anticipated productions opened last week as New York City Center's gala presentation of Evita officially began performances on November 13th. Saleya Pfeiffer, Maya Rafiko, Jason Gote, Enrique Acevedo, Philip Hernandez and Marie Christina Sly star. The production directed by Sammy Cannell will run through November 24th at New York City Center. There are just a handful of reviews for the production, all of which came out on Friday, but I at least wanted to touch on a couple since this is such a big production. First up, Jesse Green at the New York Times calls it, quote, a smart yet unpersuasive production, writing, Evita is already overloaded with symbols. Most of its characters are abstractions, and so are most of its conflicts. Eva's chief antagonist isn't her husband, the quasi-fascist Juan Perón, but Che a generalized man of the people and freelance cynic. I relate to that very well. (laughs) The plot unrolls like a military campaign seen from above on a strategy map with the ensemble divided into armies representing the haughty rich, the cutthroat military, and the impoverished descamisados. Kennel's production with its additional symbolic superstructure and shaky use of the stage is often too fragmented to produce the effects of the the show's creators intended. I'm not really endorsing those effects, Deliberately or not, they give moral status to the characters who don't deserve it just by letting them sing. Candled undercuts that, forcing us to confront our complicity and enjoying them as entertainment. But of course, in the process, they become less entertaining. Both Melissa Rose Bernardo and Elisa Gardner at New York Stage Review gave it four stars, with Gardner writing... 
Any 2019 staging of the show poses risks. Can it, can its portrait of a poor but ambitious young woman who essentially slept her way to the top, thought by some to be sexist or simplistic even 40 years ago, fly in our post hashtag Me Too era? The quote from one uh, the quote from one of librettist lyricist Tim Rice's refrains. The answer is yes, at least in the hands of a director who gets the nuances that Lloyd Webber and Rice, neither of whom are generally known for nuance, insert into their account of Ava's rise and fall and her relationship with military leader turned president Juan Perón. The new production of Evita at New York City Center has such a guide in Sammy Cannell, a young director who has cast two vibrantly gifted young women in the title role. The review goes on to especially praise Pfeiffer, calling her this production's biggest revelation. We'll have the roundup of reviews in our show notes. But James, I kind of don't really know what to make of these reviews. They seem to share in their praise of the female leads, at least. But Green finishes out his review by saying, quote, whether we need an Evita that helps to humanize a woman who enabled a dictator is a matter of taste. For me, I'll just say that the gorgeous dress is now more impressive on a hanger than it ever was when worn, unquote. And we've talked a bit about having this, maybe having the potential of it transferring or the London open air one transferring. I'm curious to see what Evita needs, apparently, to bring it into 2019 or 2020, if an update is necessary. So uh, if I remember correctly, the Tamanini review was that uh, the, women, oh, yes. the oh. women were great and the men were okay. That's um, a lot of what I've heard as well, and also what Jesse Green's review seemed to reflect. And with uh, the political landscape outside of the city center theater that's uh, within the the environment of the United States right now with what we are dealing with uh, with our leaders, yeah. this, this might be cutting, cutting too close to the bone. Uh, that might be the case. I think right now, I'm not saying that we can never produce Evita again because yeah. that would be absurd. I think right now, is it time to be producing Evita other than at City Center? Maybe not. So uh, we talked to Sammy Canold, uh on Broadway Radio a couple of years mm-hmm. back when she was doing uh, Ragtime on Ellis. Uh, uh, and, yes. she, and she also um, was working on, at the time, uh, a Violet on a site-specific Violet production on a bus. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Violet on a bus. So uh, if you're interested, Sammy's really really cool and cutting edge and so uh dig it up in the archives for the uh our interview with sammy and for uh, sure maybe uh hopefully she's not getting too big that we can't get her back on broader radio but (laughs) it would be great (laughs) hopefully she has time for us still yeah so what do we have in this week's show schedule? Oh, James, I want to briefly run through this week's show schedule mm-hmm. because it is jam-packed, particularly off-Broadway. Today, if you're listening on Monday, is our lightest day with a grand total of one show. Harry Townsend's Last Stand will have its first preview at New York City Center Stage 2. The play written by George Eastman stars Len Cariou and Greg Birko with direction from Karen Carpenter. 
On Tuesday the 19th, 1 and 2, written by Donye R. Love, will also begin preview performances at City Center Stage 2. Down at the public, Tony Kushner's A Bright Room Called Day will open at the Anne's Pocker Theater. The cast stars Linda Emond, Michael Esper, Nikki M. James, Grace Gummer, Jonathan Hattery, Michael Urie, and more with direction by Oscar Eustace. Very much looking forward to seeing that one as a Kushner fan and even more so as a Linda Eman fan. Also opening will be Manetta Lane Theater's The Half-Life of Marie Curie, starring Kate Mulgrew and Francesca Faradini, and written by Lauren Gunderson. Over to Wednesday, where we have two shows opening, Einstein's Dreams at 59 East 59th Theater A, as well as Confidence and the Speech at Theater One at Theater Row. Thursday, the 21st, the second stage production of The Underlying Chris will open at the Tony Kaiser Theater. The production is written by Will Eno and directed by Kenny Leon with Hannah Cabell, Michael Countryman, Ebony Joanne, and more. Back over at Theater Row in Theater 4, still not used to them not having actual names anymore, <laughs> The Four Seasons by David Zelnick and Antonio Vivaldi will begin previews ahead of its opening night on the 23rd, just a couple days later. And lastly for Thursday, Arthur Miller's The Crucible down at Connolly Theater will open. I know that was one of the shows Matt got to check out in the first leg of his trip, had positive things to say, especially about the leads, so be sure to check that one out. On Friday, we've got two previews. Everything is Super Great at 59 East 59th Theater C, written by Stephen Brown and directed by Sarah Norris. And The Thin Place over at Playwrights Horizons Peter J. Sharp Theater. This is one I've been looking forward to, written by Lucas Nath and directed by Les Waters, starring Randy Danson, Kelly McAndrew, Emily Cass McDonald, and Trini Sandoval. I think I saw it described as an intimate seance, so that should be pretty swell. <laughs> and finally, heading into the weekend, we have one closing on Saturday, Dr. Ride's American Beach House over at Ars Nova Greenwich House. We are very vocal about our love for Ars Nova over here at Broadway Radio, so check that out. If there are still tickets and you haven't gotten to it yet, Sunday the 24th is our last and busiest day. First up, we've got a pair of openings. The Young Man from Atlanta at the Pershing Square Signature Center, Irene Diamond Stage. The Pulitzer Prize winner, written by Horton Foote, is directed by Michael Wilson and stars Devin Abner, Dan Bittner, Pat Bowie, Christine Nielsen, and more. Also opening will be Fifu and Her Friends at Theater for a New Audience's Paulette. Polanski Shakespeare Center. I've heard nothing but good things about this. I also believe they have they're having these pay whatever you can style performances. I believe there's one left of that where you can even pay a penny to get in if you're uh, one of the lucky ones. Then we've got several closings on Sunday. Our only Broadway show of the week, The Height of the Storm, will wrap up performances at the Friedman Theater. That, of course, stars Jonathan Price and Eileen Atkins. A very fascinating and beautifully acted play I still have really no clue what to do with, which is neither a positive or a negative. But that will clear house to make way for the incoming My Name is Lucy Barton, which will begin previews on Laura Six. Sorry, January 6th, that stars Laura Linney. Several off-Broadway closings, though, for all the women who thought they were mad at Soho Repertory Theater, Fur at 4th Street Theater, One Discordant Violin at 59 East 59's 
Theater B, The Wrong Man at Robert W. Wilson MCC Theater Space, which we mentioned earlier, and Is This a Room over at the Vineyard Theater, which, God, please see if you can. I loved it so much. But a very, very busy week, James. A lot of great names and shows that are going to keep me very busy this winter. So, uh, question for you, a little trivia. Hey. Oh. I want to put you on the spot, but I'll ask you a question. Okay. Who is the most produced living playwright in America? Living playwright? America's well, most produced living playwright is... I'm not... How are you quantifying? Like... Across several productions, or or across several different shows, or yeah, yeah, just general. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Lauren Gunderson. Oh yes, yes, yes. Half Life of Marie Curie. Never been on Broadway, right? Exactly. Yeah, which is absurd. So uh, to be the most to be the most produced playwright and have never had a show produced on Broadway. Keep your eyes on this Half Life of Marie Marie Curie with Kate Mulgrew. I mean, I really want to see it. Love Kate Mulgrew. So that's uh, awesome. What do we have in uh, recommendations? Yeah, one recommendation. Uh, Moulin Rouge stars Karen Olivo and Aaron Tveit stopped by The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on Friday night where they talked about the show and they performed your song. And they also talked about uh, Satine's swinging ceiling entrance. I think they talked about when Nicole Kidman came to the show. She was apparently most interested interested in learning how Olivo could both cough and sing at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, we've all got our stories, I guess. But yeah, be, be sure to check that one out. What do we have in other news? Yeah, let's wrap up today's long episode with a bit of regional news. Ahead of the 2020 cinematic release of the highly anticipated In the Heights movie, Lin-Manuel Miranda announced that a brand new Puerto Rican production of the musical will play the Centro de Bella Arts and in Santorce, starting May 7th, 2020. Miranda recorded a video in Spanish that was released on the BAS Entertainment Twitter account and announced On Your Feet star Hector Rivera will play Usnavi in the production. Further details and casting will be announced in the near future, but tickets are on sale now as of Friday. Of course, always great when Lin-Manuel gets to put on productions in Puerto Rico, gets his chance to give back. His joy in the video is just infectious. And I've heard a lot of great about the film, which I'm so looking forward to. Quite literally heard as it was filming near me the whole time that I lived in the Heights over the summer. Awesome. I wonder yeah. if there'll be uh, New York City tours that head to Puerto Rico for this. That'd... Oh, that'd be great, for sure. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for Lynn. Support uh, Puerto Rico and its rebuilding after the hurricane. Always. All you right. hear that? Support Puerto Rico. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking to no one in particular. Yes. Don't throw paper towels at them. That's what yeah. we really support. Exactly. For new productions, at the very least. All right, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. If you haven't already, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio or the reverse to support us. Get some more of Matt's thoughts before he heads back to warmer weather land. And also, please leave us a review at your podcasting platform of choice as well as on Facebook. You can find me on 
or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio and me on Twitter and Instagram at No This Is Ashley. James Marino, do your thing. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for kicking off your week with us. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Matt's going to have a Patreon-only special. Uh, yes. Get caught up with a couple of more shows that he talked about. Part two of the Tamanini Files is going to be... Uh, <laughs> oh, he needs his own show now. On the Monday afternoon. Uh, I'll be so delighted. <laughs> and Ashley and I will come back and talk with you tomorrow. Talk to you then. Thank you.